We have been duped by feminism, sexual liberation, and antidepressants. We have been told that we are powerful and free now as women, but we feel tired, wired, and bitter. We're mostly eating right, exercising, and meditating, wrangling to-do lists, and arranging playdates, and yet there's a haunting hollowness beneath the huge complaints. What if I told you that there is a huge storehouse, a reservoir of energy inside of you that has not been tapped, that you could feel light and pulsing, excited and alive in ways that a wellness lifestyle cannot deliver, that you could trust yourself, that the world could feel safe and that unexpected and expected delights could start to illuminate your path. No coach, therapist, doctor, or guru required. Just you learning to get real, present, and attentive with you. I feel like I'm here to matchmake your inner parts for the greatest love affair ever written. I want to help you learn first where you're buying eggs from the hardware store, which is the source of all pain. I want to help you master entering through the upset, which is the only spiritual practice you'll ever need and to get real comfortable putting on your villain crown, which is, in my opinion, the key to true power. And then you'll attune to your inner yes so you can live the life defined by the specific pleasure of who you are. I am so excited to announce my latest book called The Reclaimed Woman, which is available for pre-order now. So if you head to the link in show notes, you can learn more about bonuses, events, and companion offerings. And I cannot wait to see your gorgeous face on the path. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan. You may know me as a New York Times bestselling author of a book with an exploding pill on the cover, renegade psychiatrist, pole dancer, or honorary member of the Disinformation Dozen. What can I say? I'm a born provocateur. I've spent most of my recent life exposing deceptions, connecting dots, and discovering the secret places my inner victim is still waiting to be liberated. And now I feel called to help you reclaim all of your parts, your health, your sexuality, your power, and your expression so that you can finally truly own yourself. I want to ignite in you that inner knowing and the pulsing vitality that lives beneath your disempowerment, disconnection, and resentment so that you can audaciously, courageously, and playfully alchemize your struggle into the specific pleasure of who you are. This is Reclamation Radio, a Soul Fire production. Hi, and welcome back to Reclamation Radio. I'm Dr. Kelly Brogan, and I am here today to talk health reclamation with one of our Vital Mind Reset program grads who just happens to have the same name. <laughs> so welcome, Kelly Seibart. We're going to dive into a conversation. It's like the meeting of the Kellys talking about getting off of thyroid hormone in this lifetime and more. And I'm really, really honored when she submitted. So she's not my patient, not my client of any kind. And I've just had the pleasure of interacting with her initially through her testimonials and through our community. 
And it has just been a pleasure. I watched your testimonials and like guffawed out loud. They're so hilarious and so poignant. It was like this incredibly pleasurable combination of like sentimentally inspiring and also like deeply comedic. So your charisma is something that needed to be fully realized, unlocked and vitalized in this lifetime. And I'm just really honored to have played, you know, any part in that process. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you for having me. All right. So you know that I am very, very interested in the archetypal journey, right? So this mysterious path that we are sometimes invited, sometimes catapulted onto, and sometimes largely avoidant and inresistant to almost for an entire lifetime home to ourselves, right? And so Jung talked about this as the individuation path and and what it is to like finally recognize that the way that you've been living is not your choice any longer. And you want to exercise the power of your choice to create a more pleasurable experience for yourself, or at least a more real and alive experience for yourself and to draw from the agency you have, you know, to, to commit to certain portals to get you there. So I've wondered a lot and I'm interested in what you can share about like the readiness, like why does somebody become ready to change their life? And, you know, we'll talk about some of the ways that your lifescape has radically changed beyond just getting off of thyroid medication since working this program and the ways that you chose to engage it. But I I would love to know, you know, like, what do you think it was? Was there a sign? Was there a crisis? Was it just sort of a quiet moment in the middle of the night where you were like, I'm ready to do something different for myself. Right. With me, it was really particular. So it's funny because I knew what the answer was for, I think, I don't know, like five or six years, right? I had read your book, you know, I think in 2016 or 17 or knew about your work. And it was a very clear yes to me at the time. It was very clear, like, well, yeah, obviously this is what I need to do. Like, this is my answer. And it's funny because at no point in time was I like, okay, let's start tomorrow. It was just kind of like, I knew that it was there and I knew that that's what I needed to do. And things I think circumstantially are at play here, right? Because at that time, I think that if I would have done VMR, I probably would have gotten a divorce, honestly. And I think that a piece of me knew that, that it was going to be like a massive thing, right? It wasn't just like about my health. (laughs) And then like the divorce happens and, you know, you get caught up in that and then caught up in new love and like life happened, you know, life is just going and going. And in the back of my mind, it's like, Hey, you still need to do this. And then, you know, more time goes by and the little things start adding up that you don't think are that big of a deal, right? So I was doing a lot of things that were unhealthy and making a lot of choices that were not cool, you know, including my diet and drinking too much alcohol and, you know, my sleep was affected. I mean, I had this very long list of things that I was, you know, suffering from all while in reality, it was because I was making those choices. It wasn't like I was being inflicted. I wasn't being broken. It wasn't like my body was malfunctioning. All of my complaints were directly related to choices that I was making, like period. 
And I just started really disliking the way that alcohol was making me feel. And I started actually getting anxious when I was drinking. And I had this really bad string of panic attacks. And it was because, you know, I started drinking around, well, not drinking, but I definitely was self-medicating in in many ways, you know, around the age of 23 and on. And, And that started because of a string of kind of traumatic events and the lack of any kind of of information of what was really going on with me. There was nobody in my world that was like, hey, Kelly, I think this is what's happening. And here's some preventative things you can do. Here's what you need to start practicing like right now, like that didn't exist. And so self-medicating was a thing. And I say self-medicating, and I'm also referring to medications that doctors had put me on as well. And so lo and behold, like, you know, fast forward 20 years, I stopped, you know, using the self-medicating things and boom, my panic attacks are back just like they were when I was 23, which started the self-medicating in the first place because I'd never done anything to change anything or help myself. So here they are again. And I mean, really, it was a crisis moment for me that created the readiness because I had a really bad panic attack and I thought I was dying. I mean, I literally was like, okay, my respiration is failing. And like, this is it. This is the moment, like you're dying. You're like dying right now. And like, you know, my husband's rushing me to the hospital and it's like this melodramatic thing, you know? And the next day I was like, that's it. You're done. Like get out from behind the wheel. You're going to hang out in the passenger seat for a while. And someone else is going to make your choices And you're going to like it. Like I was kind of like fed up with myself and just very much like, that's it. You're done. You're going to start doing something that is healthy for you now. And of course I already had known the answer for five years. It was VMR. (laughs) And so it was just kind of a weird coincidence because like that day there was a special for a vital life project. And I had been wanting to be a part of that community for like four years. And I was like, yay, I can finally do VLP. And then like the next day after that, there was a thing for VMR and it was just very synchronistic and like meant to be. And it just, I didn't really have time to even think about whether or not, I mean, it was just a very clear yes. Like you're not going to make your choices anymore. You're done. Like you don't get that. And VMR is going to make the choices for you for a while. So sit back and do what you're told. <laughs> so there's almost, yeah, I love hearing about this because there's almost like the meta choice that you're making is to participate, right? So you are making right. a choice almost, you know, some I've, I've thought a lot about, you know, what is the role that I play in this container because of the outcomes that we've seen? It's like, clearly it's not because of me doing some magic in there. I'm not even involved. We never even met, right? So what is actually happening? And sometimes yeah. looking at my own path, I think, Well, we have a moment in our self-maturation process where we choose the good parent, right? Like we choose the good mentor, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're a clinician. I know you've had this experience, you know, with your clients and it's real, right? So, so when I first worked with the naturopath who helped me to learn about a lot of the tenets of, you know, VMR, 
I gave her that level of authority, right? But I was the one giving her the authority because I was the one choosing her as like a good mother, let's say, right? And allowing her to actually like parent me with my consent, right? So it's almost like a, interestingly, like a, a consensual domination, right? So I trust you to command me, but I'm the one who's consenting and choosing. So in that framework, that psychological space, there's so much room for defragging, reprogramming, and repatterning old ways of interacting within the self in that tense sort of like self-reprimanding, self-flagellating, self-punishing sort of energy of like kind of hoping to do better, but like failing, right? So we get into these kinks of like stuckness. So once you decided to do it, there are many, many people who invest in, you know, programs who never do it, right? So that's very, it's more common than not, but you decided to do it. So even though you were saying, you know, I'm just going to be told what to do. I'm going to follow orders from a trusted source, at least a source that feels trustworthy. Right. You actually were the one executing, right? You actually were the one following through and you actually were the one engaging. So was that, what was that like? You know, was that difficult? Did you waver? Did you have to like whip yourself into shape or did it just, you know, become what I call chopping wood, carrying water? Like just sort of like, okay, today we'll do this tomorrow. We'll do this, you know, like very basics, keep your gaze, like just a couple of feet in front of your feet. Yeah, I was definitely chopping wood, carrying water. It was actually really easy for me. I didn't struggle at all with the, like, you need to do this and don't do this part of it. And I think you touched on a really important thing, which is like, we, at least for me, I immediately believe the things that people tell me who I trust, right? Almost maybe to a, like a fault. I don't know. But so I came into it in a very like trusting way. And, and it, but it's because of the way that you lay things out where you actually explain why you're doing things and why you're not doing things, which I think other programs don't really do. Like, tell me why I shouldn't eat gluten. And what does that have anything to do with my mental health? Right. And so the explanation is all there. So you, you know, exactly why you're not supposed to do the things that are on the, you know, no list and then how the things on the yes list actually help. So with that explanation, I can put intention behind it and that makes it so much more powerful. But for me, just doing the program in general was very like, I don't know what you would call kind of type A around stuff like this. I don't know. It was like very, once I made the commitment, there was no room for messing around. I mean, I did everything exactly like to the T, like by the book. And that's for my own like satisfaction of it, right? Because otherwise I'm like, well, if you don't do this or whatever, you know, I just didn't want to have that wishy-washiness in my head of going, well, could it have been better or you know, if I didn't have the outcomes, like, oh, is it because I did that one day? No, like I didn't want any of that chatter. So, I mean, I totally stuck to the diet. I mean, even to the point where, you know, like cacao is okay, you know, on occasion. And it was like, no, no cacao, no chocolate, no turmeric lattes. Like I'm drinking water, <laughs> nothing but Berkey water. I was hardcore about it you know, stuck with the meditations. I increased the meditations, you know, did all of the journal entry and writing a couple times each. So I was very in it and enjoyed it being that way. Like it wasn't a chore. It was so enjoyable, you know, like going through the motion every day and having my list of things I wanted to do was exciting. 
I thought it was easy to commit to it, frankly, but maybe that's just because of the headspace I was in. I was, I was done with myself. So it was like refreshing to have somebody else be like, do this today. I'm like, thank you for the love of God. (laughs) You know, I love that. And I think too, a lot about, because I am constructed similarly and have, you know, ease in creating what I would call masculine containers and structures for myself, you know, exercising discipline and sticking to things and following through. However, I've also been exploring recently, like what is the feminine complement to that? And what I've come to, it's like, I just made eggs for myself. Right. And sometimes I would put the pan and the little bowl that I ate them in, in the sink and like deal with it later. Right. However, I've come to this sort of like self-devotion through the relationship to my future self, right? So like, how do we behave and choose to behave now that is a devotional practice to the future self, right? Like I'm going to wash the dishes now (laughs) out of love for my future self, right? So it sounds like there was some combination because otherwise that like rigidity can feel punitive and set you up for the familiar experience of delicious failure, right? Where you're like, oh, see, I couldn't do it again. Nothing works for me. And that whole victim story can emerge almost like you wanted it to, right? But instead it sounds like there was this like, I'm gonna create the conditions for myself that are going to feel good, feel best on the end of this, like the other end of it, so that I can look back and say, that was an experience that I really co-created. So I love that. It's like a helpful, very helpful nuance. So tell us, tell us what happened, you know, tell us, you know, you gave us a picture of sort of the, the before, right. Where you were in this place of having actually like, you know, what could be referred to as like clinical symptoms, right. Of panic and anyone who's experienced, you know, what could be described as a panic disorder, panic attacks, you know, panic related symptomatology, know that it's one of the, the few things that can bring you to the brink, you know, of your own self-betrayal very easily, right. Like straight to the emergency room, straight to the Xanax or Clonopin. And so I wonder if you could sort of describe, right? Because the program's 44 days. There probably shouldn't be any like major miracles happening in 44 days, although I see it with regularity. And honestly, I'm sort of shocked every time. And there's like, you know, a numerology. Obviously, many practices are 40-day practices. There's something to, you know, that time window that is also enough, you know, to sort of make a shift to lay new snow on the mountain so you can ski new tracks, you know, rather than the same old ones. So help us sort of see and experience what it was like for you on the other end. Right. So, I mean, I was very uncomfortable, like day-to-day life, right? I mean, on top of anxiety, it was like depression, major sleep problems. I mean, I wasn't sleeping pretty much at all. I mean, if I would have gone to the doctor, I would have for sure been diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. My guts were constantly wrecked you know, mood swings, anger outbursts. I was just not okay. And did VMR. And, you know, it's funny. It's like almost immediately I feel, you know, better, honestly, by the end of the 44 days, none of the things that I just listed off were happening anymore. I mean, I'm calm. Definitely. You know, I haven't had a panic attack since before I started VMR. And all of the things I just listed are gone. So my stomach is completely fine. There's no stomach issues. You know, my sleeping is rock solid. I go to bed at nine every night. I sleep completely through the night, wake up happy at 6 a.m. with no problems. You know, I'm not hitting snooze for two hours anymore. My mood is just very like even keyed. 
I'm high, like way higher energy. You know, I didn't have any motivation to do anything. And my productivity was low just on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I was just kind of lounging around the couch because I didn't have enough motivation or energy to like do anything like the dishes even. So I, you know, now I just get like lists of things done every day. I'm, and it feels good because it's, it, it didn't feel good to be that way. I always was feeling bad about myself. So yeah, just everything feels different. There's no, you know, mood swings. I deal with stress differently. It really isn't, I I think I was just in such a kind of acute place that just a little bit of something would really, you know, wake me out. And so now I can handle like things that should be stressful and it's kind of like no big deal. The thing about VMR is that you get a massive perspective change, which is difficult to describe unless you go through it. So it's the way that you look at all of these things, you know, getting into that whole victim mindset is massive. You know, I could complain about how no doctors told me exactly what to do before, you know, before this, like, wow, this would have been nice to know a long time ago. Thanks. You know, like, did anyone care to tell me I should stop drinking whiskey? But of course, that's that victim mindset, right? Like I knew what to do five years ago. This isn't on them, you know? So I think I'm like projecting a little bit there, but <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I, things are just completely different. I'm, I'm even keeled. Everything's cool. Nothing really stresses me out. Yeah. And you, and you came off of medication and you, you told me that you haven't worked with any like pharmaceuticals since, right? Right. So my thyroid, so I I did VMR for anxiety. Like I didn't do VMR for thyroid stuff. I didn't, you know, that was something that came with my fertility clinic doctor. Right. So yeah, I got off VMR and then the, you know, main like measurable thing that came out of it is the blood work that showed me that I had healed my thyroid in this process, which I wasn't even trying to do. And then Six months later, I retook the labs and they were even better. They were rock solid in the center of like the, you know, lines of where they should be. You know, my thyroid could not be healthier right now if I tried to get it healthier. And and in the past six months, honestly, I haven't been super rigid, you know, about the diet and whatnot. I'll maybe have gluten, dairy, sugar, like a little bit here or there. If it's like a special occasion, I'm not rigid about it. And even with that, my body just continued, has just literally continued to heal this entire time. And so that was, yeah, that was a big measurable thing that happened. (laughs) So we'll pause here for a message from our sponsor, my signature health reclamation program, vital mind reset. When people have the chance to ask me questions about their lives, about their anxiety, depression, stuckness, and their feeling of being trapped in their body and in patterns of struggle, I pretty much have one answer. My history making program, Vital Mind Reset. It's 44 days, and this year it goes live on April 4th with limited capacity. So if you're ready to reset your story, join us at the link in show notes and on kellybroganmd.com and get ready to shed your struggle and step into the specific pleasure of who you are. I think I saw a post that you did, and it was like such a fascinating breakdown because I know that you stopped drinking and then maybe like had an experience of like intentionally reintroducing, I think wine. Right. So how, how was that? Oh my gosh. It was cool. It was a neat, like I called it my alcohol experiment (laughs) and it was really cool because this is the thing that I didn't realize going into it that VMR gives you actually, it gives you a completely clean slate 
so that you can add one single thing into your life and know exactly how it makes you feel with none of that chatter going on. That's like, well, I wonder if it was this though. I wonder if it was that factor. What are, you know, all these variables that we have in our life and we can never really narrow things down to like what exactly is making us feel a certain way. VMR does that. And it's, so that's, what's really cool is so I was a blank slate. So I knew that it, however alcohol was going to make me feel was going to be the alcohol. There was no excuses. It was never going to be something else. And in VMR, you warn people, if you're going to reintroduce alcohol, don't have more than two drinks. And so, so that's what I did. So I had two glasses of wine. I actually didn't really want to have the second one because I was so kind of buzzed after the first one, but I was like, I'm doing two and I'm going to see what it feels like, you know? (laughs) And I, I just, I guess I realized that I had become better socially without it and more confident. And I just kind of felt like I was like, I don't know, just being an ass, you know? And I had kind of like leveled up my ability to socialize with people. And I saw a little bit of that trickle in again. And it was like, it made me self-conscious actually, which is like the opposite of what alcohol should do, right? The whole give you courage thing kind of went out the window. And I was all of a sudden like, am I, I was just kind of self-conscious about what I was saying and how I was acting and the big, you know, I can go into all of the negative, you know, ways that it made me feel, of course, for the following two days, but first... I realized that the whole hangover thing is not a next day thing. And I don't continue to drink because I like the way that it makes me feel like in the moment. I actually continue to drink because the second I stop drinking, I start immediately feeling bad. So I'm not stopping because I'm prolonging the fact that I'm about to feel like shit for two days. Right. So that was an interesting insight. I'm like, Oh, I don't, it's not, it's, I actually had it backwards this whole time. I'm at, so that was kind of a cool insight. So yeah, as soon as I stopped, I mean, I almost immediately felt anxious. First of all, I mean, I was really kind of almost jittery within 30 minutes, the inflammation in me kicked in and my nose was completely stuffed up and my fingers hurt. I had like arthritis almost in my joints. And then, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night that night, you know, couldn't sleep for two or three hours. I didn't totally feel super like hungover-y the next day. I mean, I got up and it was fine, but you know, my eyes were red. I was super dehydrated, even though I drank my normal 12 glasses of water that day. And then another, I think six on top of that. Before I went to bed, I woke up with dry mouth and dry eyes. Like I was literally dehydrated. Yeah. And I, you know, my head hurt. I was foggy headed. I couldn't really think straight. I just felt like I was in kind of this fog. So yeah, anyway, it was like, okay, well, (laughs) that was really clear on. So, you know, it's just nice because it's like, okay, that's what I'm signing up for. You know, I I think that alcohol does really have this like magical way of being. It's like this magical elixir that really makes us connect with the people that we're drinking with. And it creates so much fun and, and everything. And I'm okay with that. It's not like I'm in the party of like, I'm never drinking again now because I know this about alcohol. It's just that I know what I'm signing up for. Okay. Like I want to have this magical moment with my friend and I'm going to sign up for the next two days. Boom. You know? So 
But it sounds like also, Kelly, that there, sorry to interrupt, that there was, because this is such a deep, we could do like a whole weekend on this subject. It's such a deep rabbit hole, but it sounds like there was also cognitive dissonance, right? Like as you were drinking and you were feeling more disconnected, let's say, we'll use that word, from your native awareness, you felt more self-conscious, right? And I think that is a part of what we must connect to if we are going to quote unquote give something up we have to connect to something more alluring right we have to connect to a want a desire and something that actually feels more exciting than the fear of loss around the deprivation right so like the the concept of being comfortable in your own skin in whatever environment you're going to put yourself in. Now you may not choose, right? That's when my, I'm in like a hyper sober window of my life, like where I'm just honestly super curious to see like what it's like to be with me when I don't have matcha, when I don't have sugar, when I don't have alcohol, when there's no substances, like no, nothing, nothing. And there are many things that I choose not to do socially that I would have done, you know, if there was like tequila on board, right? So Mm -hmm. you make different decisions and then you relish like that perma awareness, right? So like when we take a pharmaceutical, when we engage in consciousness altering substances, we are surrendering our awareness electively, willfully, right? So like, are we in a window of life where that's even desirable or is it actually more desirable to feel comfortable in our own skin and to resolve that dynamic with anxiety that can come with the play of, of a substance like that. And, and I feel like you really painted that picture of like, like all of us listening are like, I think you're good without the drink for now. Right. <laughs> like, right. Better. It's just, right. Better. <laughs> and I, I suspect, you know, that this has been part of the alchemy of your coming into more erotic connection with yourself, what I would call erotic connection with yourself, which is right. Like finding the spaces of, you know, pleasure in your own beauty, in your own body, in your own feminine energy that might not have been accessible. Of course, if you're living in this like white noise of like a self-medication and associated disconnection. So I think you have gone to a poll class. I think I saw evidence of that. So I'd love to hear a little bit about like, I was joking, you know, with my team, I was like, maybe I should create a program called pill to pull. (laughs) It's a thing. Like it's a thing. It's a trajectory. Right. And it's, yeah, it's because you can create the foundation, right. For you to get in touch with that ultimate reclamation which is of your vital force, right? Of this animating energy that is your feminine radiance, that is your sexuality, right? That is your life energy. Only after you've created the conditions of safety for that to even emerge, right? So like how has what we just talked about like in any way led to this experience of your own womanness, like in a different way? Totally. Just like you've said before, like your people who go through BMR kind of become like artists, right? Like artists again. It's just that you have time to be creative and you feel inspired to be creative. You know, I always kind of thought that alcohol was making me kind of be bitchy or like have these little outbursts, like, oh, it was just the alcohol talking, right? But like, no, I now that alcohol is not a part of the, you know, my world, I realized that I just have like really come into 
a voice and just owning it more than I was before. I'm like, no, actually, this is just kind of me. And, you know, maybe I'm a little intense. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, my, my energy is there and it's really who I am. Whereas before that was all just shrouded. And so, yeah, I just have more time to do the things that I always was telling myself that I wanted to do, you know, and dancing has always been for me something that, you know, songs will inspire me and I just can't not dance, you know, and just feeling feminine, like you're saying. And of course that really ties back into crediting you on a different posts and things that you make that talk about the feminine and how to bring that out in ourselves. And I was actually just in a point where I felt good enough about myself to do that for myself. Right. Because before I was feeling so kind of shameful that it was like, it wasn't worthy. Right. So now it's like, no, you've kind of done the work. It's you're worthy of this now. And you can put on hair and makeup and go out with your camera and like do fun photography sessions and like just reclaiming that kind of like dress up thing. You know, this isn't something that like, there's a big girl version of the things that have always inspired us. And it just transforms when we're older and things inspire me now. And I actually get up and then go do them when I'm inspired. I don't just sit on the couch and wish that I was doing them, you know, and taking a pole class is one of those things too. And it just feels so good to be moving around in a like very feminine way and having the okay to do that where, you know, your muses in life and your people are like, Hey, it's okay. And here's why, you know, all of that social chatter goes away, you know, all of the negative, like, Oh, but people will think a, B and C about you, you know, no, like enough of that, but that's history. It's like absurd. And so, yeah, just letting myself have fun and be feminine and be creative. And, you know, it's definitely, there's like a huge kind of artsy side to me that was very repressed for sure. <laughs> so it's like the, that reclamation of play, you know, it can re it's like you said with the big girl version. I mean, there's yeah. that inner child permission slip, you know, to dance, to sing, to paint, yeah. you know, to create. Yes to want to perform, you know, like when I make contact with my inner child parts, it's like this little girl in a tutu who's like, Hey, I'm going to do a dance for you. Right. And of course that's like my entire social media account. It's like, Hey, I'm going to do a dance for you, you know? And there is sort of this, yeah. Like take the piss out of it to acknowledge and own that as we pay attention to those dimensions of ourselves, as we give them permission to come out, there is a play with those around us that is, you know, for the experience of feminine radiance, like David Data always says, like the feminine requires being witnessed, right? Like that is, that's how it works. And it is a seemingly archetypal journey, like home to the origins of what got somehow stuffed, you know, into the shame closet. And like, what is it, yep. you know, for, for all of us to begin to take steps in the direction of like following those impulses. So I love what you said, because that's exactly what I experienced. Like, to me, that is how you honor your feminine is to, to say your impulses matter. And I will create the conditions to hold the space for the, you know, the inspired action that comes from those impulses, whether it's like making a funny video or going to a class or like creating, you know, art out of something that has otherwise been 
taboo, you know, or painful or confusing. And yeah, to just sort of laugh with it and, and play with it. Like you're so, you're so masterful at that energy, like bringing that energy of like, you know, not even taking yourself as seriously as probably I do on a regular basis, you know, which of course is like, <laughs> gives people a lot of material to work with critically. Yeah, um, no, making fun of myself is like my favorite thing. <laughs> it's Great. liberating, you know, it's liberating yeah, to watch. Totally. And, and I, I just love like what I have, I love witnessing this in you and others because it means that there's like a field for the collective, right? To step into. And that there's some reason that when we create a framework mentally, you said, you know, whether it was my book or other materials that did that, right? Like a paradigm shift, like, oh no, this is the truth that feels good to me, right? Like I'm not broken. I can integrate. There is another story in another chapter for me. So you, you work with your mind, then you work with your body, and then you get to experience your spirit, right? You get to experience the energies that would otherwise be like inverted and corrupted and repressed. And yeah. And, and in other, like in so many ways, like fueling, like the patterns of struggle and suffering. Cause you know, a lot of what Carolyn Elliott talks about is the ways that we get off on our own struggle, like literally bodily erotically, like it feels good to be like, Oh, he's uh, disappointing me again, you know, in that right. victim role. Right. So like yeah. it actually somatically is like the most get off we have in our life. Like we yeah. can choose differently. Right. And it takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. Yeah. And to not get off on doing things that you know you're not supposed to be doing. That was a big one for me. Like, I'm going to, you know, create this difference, right? Like, so like with eating or whatever it is. Polarity, like a polarity, right? Yes. So you create the polarity and then it's like you almost do it so that then you can ruin it, you know, because <laughs> you know you're not supposed to. So that was a big one for me too. It was like, no, you're going to stop doing that. <laughs> and once I got out of the habit of doing that, it was like, oh yeah, that was weird. Like, why was I doing that? Like now I don't like, you know, get off on being bad, you know? Yeah. And making the bad choices. You shifted it to like intentional choices. And if you're going right. to- right? Like if you're going to make a choice that you know is not aligned with the majority of your thought-based paradigm, then you're probably going to do it on purpose, right? And that's a whole other way of living, you know? Like it's like, if I'm going to make the choice, I'm going to do it for the fun of it, right? Like if I'm going to put myself in the position that is, you know, like if I'm going to have a conversation with somebody I know is not open to having rational dialogue with me, and I'm going to go into that conversation, I'm going to do it because I get a kinky kick out of it, right? And it's like almost when you own that, then it's yeah. a whole different relationship to even that bad girl. And once she's exposed, it's like, do I really want to do that after all? You know, so things just sort of come into alignment, right? Like your thoughts and your actions are less in that sort of polarized tension. Yeah, it's amazing. So I'd love Kelly to know in closing, like what, what would you tell someone who really at this point, like feels certain that their story is their story, right? And, and, you know, I know that we can change our story and that it's almost pre-written in ways that we evolve our story and accessing that permission to sort of like go on the journey is this elusive thing, right? Like it, it, it sort of happens, but it happens when you want it and it happens when you're ready. And it happens when I often have observed like moving in the direction of radical change feels like relief. It doesn't feel like a burden. 
Right. And so if someone is like, well, this is just, yeah, I got this illness. I got this job. I got this, you know, shitty marriage. I got this body, you know, they do that. I don't do this. You know, if they're like, this is just how it is. Right. Like a lot of our parents are probably that way. Right. It's just like, this is the story. What would you say to somebody who is really sort of mired in that consciousness? Usually I start by going into a huge dialogue about the pharmaceutical industry, which I'll spare you. That's where I always start. (laughs) Okay. I always go into like psychoeducation on how it's actually the pharmaceutical industry that's like created that idea. And even like with an example, like meditation, right? Like meditation is huge in VMR. And I mean, I think it's in my opinion, like up there with the importance of the diet, like diet, meditation, everything else, you know? And you know, why would we, if we think that we're broken, you know, or malfunctioning, and even to the extreme of thinking that the only thing to do about that is to take a pill and maybe even for the rest of your life, then why in the world would we sit around for three minutes a day and like put effort into trying to be another way, right? Like, it's like, what, what a waste of time. And so usually there, there has to be some psychoeducation around that of like, hey, actually meditation is for your mind what working out at the gym is for your physical body. This is the practice. This is what you do to get to the place that you're saying you want to be. So usually with people like that, they have a complaint, right? Like that's where in, you know, with my clients, that's where I have leverage. Like you're going to come to me and complain about something. Well, guess what? Like, here we go. You know, like, do you want a solution? (laughs) Because I can, talk about, you know, how to narrow things down. I can figure out what the root cause is more than likely. I mean, I do with people every week. And so that's where the leverage is, is within the complaint. Like, what are we complaining about? What are we not happy about? Or what do we wish we were? How do we wish we felt? Do we wish that we're more calm or happier and more in control of our thoughts, less temperamental, less triggered by every little thing? Okay. Well, you know, do you want to hear my speech on this? Because I'm sure I've got one, (laughs) you know? So that's where the discussion lies is, you know, their readiness is a, is a separate topic, but at least I can start planting seeds. And when you take away the, I don't have control over this, this is just how it is a narrative, then all of a sudden things get real, real, real fast. And that's where the readiness comes out or gets blocked because it's like, oh crap, my choices can do something here and can affect this. So then it comes a question like whether or not they want to face that and then start moving forward into it. Right. Totally. Yeah. The taking of the responsibility, it's like hurts and it's scary. It's like almost like nauseatingly level, like scary. The first time you're like, oh, this is on me. This is actually, and always has been on me. And I don't get to say this is happening to me. I have to, I have no choice. You know, all of these phrases that like are in our daily vernacular sort of go down the drain of this reclamation process. And I, I love, you know, what you're describing because it's very soothing to know that there is a path, right? Like we, I didn't invent the archetypal path, right? Like it exists, it has stages and the first step is self-initiation to that already present power, right? So it's like clearing the cobwebs and the veils and the gauze, you know, from before your eyes so that you can actually see as an adult, what choices you have and initiate to that. And it is 
necessarily involves you know the death of the the child version that you were so this this portal you know that you move through and the way that you're representing it it's like okay whenever you're ready it's here and yeah. i think that's why you know i love your story and in you know after my mentor nick died i really shifted you know on a spiritual level and on so many ways but on a spiritual level to to choosing what feels good in my vocation and my career which is celebrating what is possible and you know you're such living proof of that and it feels so good you know it feels so good to to bear witness to your experience because it means and to share it because it means that others listening now know what is possible and they can't unknow it and it might ignite something inside of them that creates just enough of that dissonance that maybe one day, you know, they choose to walk into the unknown of, you know, this new, but also very familiar and old, right, version of themselves. Right. So I'm, I'm so grateful, you know, for your courage, for your commitment, and for the reclamation of choice, for the slipping into the skin of your own body, you know, that you're enjoying. And I'm really honored, you know, to be on this path with you. Oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Awesome, Kelly. <laughs> really.